John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All right. Thank you, Alvin, for uh, doing probably one of the shortest scripture readings we've had for, for a while. So I appreciate that. Um, before we get started, just, uh, just a quick little thing, quick little ask. Um, first of all, thank you for those who are stepping up to help with just our kids' sign-in. Um, and another just ask is we're trying to fill out some teams for nurseries. So what I said before, uh, just want to invite you into is we know there's a lot of people serving at Radiant, and we're grateful for that. So if you're able to serve, awesome. If you aren't able to because you're serving in somewhere else, we just ask, just, you know, please pray to help. The reason we, we do nursery, especially is for, um, I would say, like, for people who are coming here uh, newer, first time, it's, it's handy to be able to have uh, just some solid people watching their kids and uh, just to be able to listen to the sermon undistracted. And I know many of you, um, that's, that's something that's helpful. But we also, we also don't mind having kids in here, too, to be able to hear God's word. So um, with that, let me just uh, pray, and I'd invite you to pray with me as we go into God's word. Father in heaven, we ask that you would just be honored right now, especially as we go into a verse that probably many of us uh, know, if not have it memorized. And it can be one of those things tucked away on a shelf or that we skim over because we know it. But I just pray, Jesus, would you, by your spirit, drive the truths of this verse into our very hearts, break through any hardness, revive us where we are weary, uh, God, where we um, have maybe just fallen into apathy, would you let these verses that we know so well just um, boost us into life, your life, God? Um, Jesus, would your spirit just be um, loving and good to us by speaking to us this afternoon? In your name we pray, amen. So we have been going through the book of Matthew um, for a while now. And we're taking a break for that during December. And we're doing, uh, typically in December, we do an Advent series. Sometimes that's a whole month. Sometimes it's a couple weeks. Sometimes it's one week. But as we were drawing close to the Advent season and thinking about things we've previously done, typically we take a story out of the Gospels that has to do with Jesus' birth, because that's what's still highlighted in our culture today, is a great way to show just the heart and the message of the Gospel in the stories. But it can be, too, that we can get wrapped up in the characters of the stories and miss the point of Jesus coming and being born into our world. So we can think of Joseph and Mary, we can think of the shepherds, we can think of Christmas prophecies, and that's a good and beautiful thing, but we can miss the message of the story. So sometimes it's good to step back and just look at the message. If you can just imagine it just unwrapped, looking at the point of, okay, what is that message of Advent that Jesus came to be the message, but also to bring the message? So we're going to start off with, most likely, uh, I believe, the most popular verse, at least in American culture, which is John 3.16. So just out of curiosity... How many of you, by raise of hands, have heard of John 3.16? Okay, okay, all right. How many have 
memorized it. All right. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, you may be in the best place to be able to understand and bring this message to heart because it's so common, and especially if you grew up in the church and maybe you were introduced to it from Awanas, uh, maybe you saw it on a, someone holding up a sign at a sporting event or uh, someone has it tattooed or whatever it may be. However you came into it, it can be that it's so familiar that we often forget the beauty and the power of a message. It's one of the most concise 50,000 foot views of the message about who God is and what he did so we could be with him for eternity. Jesus came to speak this message and he also was the message. John 3.16 is simple, it's brief, but incredibly deep. We don't need to hear this just one time. As many times as some of us may have heard it, we can still do to hear it one more time. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in the late 1800s. Uh, People would later on call him the Prince of Preachers, and he had this to say about John 3.16. I can truly say that it, John 3.16, might be put in the forefront of all my volumes of discourse as the sole topic of my life's ministry. It has been my one and only business to set forth the love of God to men in Christ Jesus. I heard lately of an aged minister of whom it was said, whatever his text, he never failed to set forth God as love and Christ as the atonement for sin. I wish that much the same may be said of me. My heart's desire has been to sound forth as with a trumpet the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So John 3.16 is widely popular, but it's also very personal in nature because John 3.16 is a verse that's in the middle of a conversation that's being had between Jesus and his ministry here on earth and to a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus. And and it just showcases how this message is being brought by Jesus in person. Like, can you imagine being able to sit with Jesus at night to have Jesus be urging you towards this amazing message of how you can be completely and radically transformed or born again as he talked to Nicodemus. It's so personal. It's like Jesus, the message, is hand-delivering it, speaking it to Nicodemus. It's, it's amazing. And so the point of John 3.16 that we're going to look at today is God loves so we can believe. God loves so we can believe. So let's just start digging into this verse. And my hope is is that the digging and the looking, the illuminating of this verse isn't just for this afternoon, but that it continues from here. So God loves. This is what people want to hear about God, isn't it? That God loves me. But we need to ask, well, what kind of love is the love of God? And how does he show it? God loves. There's two aspects in this first line. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves because God created. 
at the beginning of the Gospel of John in which this conversation takes place, in the beginning of the whole Bible, God is established first as a creator. Like, go to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And while that is, at least in English, grammatically hard to write out and a tongue twister to say, um, we were hanging out with some high schoolers at Young Life's uh, campaigners, and <laughs> the, the looks a couple guys gave me after saying that was like, what the heck does that mean? And, and, but it's so powerful because of the repetition that's put into it. All things were made by him. And the things that you see in this created world are in existence because he made them. Like, the things that you see are, are not without the touch of the creator in this physical world. We are part of God's creation of the cosmos. And that's, that's the Greek word that's used in, uh, for world. And I, I don't like bringing Greek often because it just can convolute things, but it's important here because it refers to a lot of different things. The word can refer to the universe or all created existence. It can be that big. But then it can also refer to this earth, this ball of dirt that we're sitting on. And then it can also refer to humanity. And when you understand those layers that are built into this word, the power of it comes out because you understand that humanity is the pinnacle of the entire universe, of God's creation. And we are the representatives of all creation, both in the glory of it, but then we're also representative of the sin, that we are responsible. Humanity is responsible for the evil and the brokenness all around us. That's why for five to 6,000 years of human history, we just see repetition of brokenness again and again and again. Why? Because sin is when we reject God and his way. It's a rebellion against the creator, which means that sin bends and it breaks and it distorts us as God's creation. So we're, we end up not really being who we're supposed to be. Our identity gets twisted. It's like, sin is like slopping paint on the Mona Lisa. Like, if you can imagine going into the museum where the Mona Lisa is and taking whatever, spray paint, just going up there and, and just doing it, poking holes in it, ripping it, it, especially if you love art, it would just tear you apart. But you can imagine, like, the 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 artist who made that, his intention for that painting was not for it to have spray paint put on it, for holes to be put into it. That's not what the creator intended. So when it says that God loved the world, I used to look at that when I heard John 3.16. This, you know, you, you have these like cheap graphics of like a little earth with a smiley face on it and like different things like that. Oh yeah, God loved the world. But when you understand the, 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 the context of what's going on, it's like God loves a world that's had paint slopped all over it. He loves a world that is sin riddled. An ugly world that's become distorted by sin. This is the kind of powerful love of God. It is a real love that doesn't ignore what's wrong. It's a love that seeks to restore what has been wrecked. Um, Chrysostom had this to say about the verse. Two 
Great, indeed, and infinite is the distance between the two. The immortal, the infinite majesty without beginning or end loved those who were but dust and ashes, who were loaded with 10,000 sins, but remained ungrateful even as they constantly offended him. To understand God's love as the creator, we have to understand how we brokenly try to solve the evil of the world. In our sin, we try to be the creator ourselves. We try to recreate ourselves. We try to make ourselves better. I mean, that's what we hear all over the place, across all sort of mediums, is that we hear this idea of like, hey, be yourself. Find out who you really are. And it's trying to put you in that position of ultimate authority. And we can also put others in that position. We, we try to let others attempt to redefine us, recreate us, tell us who we're supposed to be. And that ultimately isn't going to work. It just makes it worse. We keep missing the mark. Why? Because the creator God has to be the one who defines us. The creator God has to be the one who recreates us. And this is what's so powerful about God's love is he's the only realist. He is the only realist. I don't care how much of a realist you may think you are. God is the only one who perfectly understands you. He's the only one who can perfectly understand. And that's what's so powerful is he still loves. He still loves. And God doesn't love by saying, hey, you're okay just the way you are. No. God is saying that he loves the world so much because he came to do something about our sinful condition. He didn't want us to stay as we are, as the creator. He is the only one who can do something about it, the only one who can give us a right identity, who can rightly tell us who we are and how we're supposed to live. And so he did something as the creator, something radical, something powerful, something pure, to change the human condition by giving us Jesus. So God loves because he's the creator. He also displays his love because he gave. He gave his one and only son. That one verb gave describes God pursuing, God coming after us in our broken state. And what better way to illustrate that than how Jesus is speaking this truth to a man in person, having a conversation, a man who is a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And when you understand the Pharisees, they're people who had God's word but grossly misunderstood it and misunderstood the heart of God. And when you, the little bits and pieces that we've been given of Nicodemus give us the hint that this conversation radically changed his life to the point where he was with those who would bury Jesus later. This, this conversation is changing, is, is changing him. So Jesus, given by God, giving a message to a man who is unable to save himself. And, and Jesus is unfolding what he came to earth to be and do. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, if God gave his one and only son, and the son of man being Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, well, well, who is this Jesus? Who is he? And most likely, whatever translation you're looking at right now probably is one of three things in describing the son. Only begotten, one and only, or in the ESV, just only. See, all, all these are referring to Jesus as the completely unique Son, part of the Trinity. 
And at the beginning of John and the gospel, Jesus is described as equal with God, but a distinct. He is a person of God, one with the Father. John 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And when you read John chapter 1, it goes further on to highlight, yes, this is, this is Jesus. This is the Word become flesh. So another way to see is that God gave of himself by giving Jesus, and Jesus steps into humanity, God putting on flesh. He steps into our suffering and into our predicament. But this is what's, this is what's amazing. Jesus didn't come to be a sightseer on earth. He didn't come to see our predicament and be like, well, that sucks. I'm going to get out of here and just screw this world and everyone in it. No, he didn't do that. He didn't come to just be a sightseeing deity. He didn't come just to observe. He came for a specific reason. So how, how was Jesus to be given? In the conversation with Nicodemus, if you back up just a little bit, Jesus describes what he's about to do. He says, and as Moses lifted up the servant, this is John 3.14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus knows Nicodemus, and he knows by referring to the story that Nicodemus will automatically get it. A story in Exodus 21. He's basically telling Nicodemus that he, Jesus, will be the source of salvation for those who are going to perish and die eternally in hell, that he is the source of salvation for them. They will have to look on Jesus. They will have to call on his name. They will have to believe in him. Hebrew, Hebrews also puts it this way. In Hebrews 2.9 it says, But we see him for a little while, who is made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Why was Jesus given? He was given to taste death for everyone. Or if you use the language in John 3.16, he came to perish on our behalf, to rise again so that eternal life could be had by those who believe, which makes Jesus our only hope in this broken world, our only way to find any sort of purpose that actually matters. And he's the only one who can give us true life that lasts beyond the life of this broken world. He is the only way to be transformed. He is our only way to believe. So that leads us to the second part of John 3.16. God loves so that we can believe. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because God loved, we can believe. Something changed because Jesus was given. Without the promise of Jesus, without the coming of Jesus, without the resurrection of Jesus, belief is pointless. I mean, really, it's when you get to that point that you realize, like, man, if, if there really isn't someone like Jesus, like, it almost doesn't matter because you can put your belief in so many different things around you, but at some point, they're going to run out. At some point, they're going to fail. But because of Jesus, there's something worth believing in. We can believe. But we have to talk about that word, don't we? Because belief can be used in many different ways. So belief. 
James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And in case you may be wondering, the the, the word used for believe in James 2.19 is the same one used in John 3.16. But that, that shouldn't surprise us, because even in English... We use words like believe in many different contexts. We can use believe in this, like, I'm all in kind of belief, or we can use it like, "Uh, yeah, I believe that might be the case, with a lot of hesitancy. So belief can be used in different ways to different degrees, just like there's a belief that demons have that is very different from the type of belief that John 3.16 talks about. So I think even starting out, we we have to address, okay, belief in this passage is not certain things. First of all, belief in John 3.16 is not an acknowledgement of facts. This is very similar to what I believe James means when when he's talking about the belief of demons. It's when you acknowledge like facts about God, you may believe many true things about him, but it would be akin to knowing facts about Antarctica. You believe there is Antarctica, that penguins exist, and that there is a lot of ice. You may even fear the fact that that there is ice melting in Antarctica, and that could cause the sea levels to rise. Or maybe there's a belief that's kind of like a one-time transaction. It's like a temporary belief. Uh, This can often happen through what's called a sinner's prayer when it's used like speaking magic words. Like if I just say these words just right, then God will accept me and I can just kind of live my life the way I want to uh, and God should be placated and happy. But that isn't depending on Jesus. That's basically attempting to manipulate Jesus. A one-time transaction is belief without dependency. So what kind of belief is Jesus talking about in this? This is a putting all your life on Christ. Putting it all on him. Making him just the center of your life, the direction of your life. It doesn't mean perfection. We can't come to Jesus with perfection. That's impossible. So if you're here broken today and maybe you stumble in the church and you're wondering like, man, I've just failed God again and again, you're actually very close to that point where you can put this type of belief on him where it's like, I'm done putting faith in myself and I need someone to help me and that person is Jesus. It doesn't mean coming perfected, but it does mean reliance. Relying completely on Christ for what he accomplished on the cross. That (laughs) I come in messy with my sins. I can't do things right, but Jesus lived perfectly on my behalf. I realize that God hates sin and desires to wipe out evil. And that's shown by the wrath that he put on Christ. But I'm protected from what I deserve because Christ died for me. So I'm reliant on his death. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He resurrected. So not only am I dependent on him and his death, but I'm also dependent and reliant on him on his life. And to just sum it up even further, getting past that, he's the power by which I can live my life. That I take his words, I take what he's given, and I live my life reliant on Christ. 
1 John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we put our belief, our faith, and our soul reliance on Christ, we are transformed. And that's the other thing about this belief that we're talking about. This is a belief that transforms us. I mean, looking at John 3.16, the very end of that verse, it says, should not perish, but have eternal life. Our eternal destiny is transformed. There's a transformation that's happening at a, at a very internal soul level, and there's this transformation that extends into eternity from perishing to life forever with God. We are eternal beings. The question is, where is our eternity going to be? Is it going to be apart from the creator who made us who gave us life, or is it going to be with him? This is why, like, in the Bible, there are just drastic terms that are used to describe this second death, this spiritual death, this death after. It's described as a lake of fire. It's described as burning. It describes an ashing of teeth. Because it's trying to point out, when you cut yourself off from the creator who made life, who made all of existence, it is terrible. But the hope that we have is that reality and that, that sin will ultimately lead us to can be transformed to a place of eternal life with him where there is now hope. You see, this, is the, this type of transformation is the whole point that Jesus is sitting with Nicodemus in the evening time, talking to him. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, this is the way he opens up the conversation. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In that conversation with, with high schoolers at Young Life, this was another phrase that just made him go, huh? <laughs> like, as it should, as it did with Nicodemus. Like, what do you mean born again exactly? That seems completely impossible. But when you view it from the lens of like, this is a complete transformation, where there is now new life, where there was dead life, where the, where the creator recreates you. So by faith in Jesus, we can be remade or recreated into who we are supposed to be. It's taking, taking that painting that's been spray painted, cut up, and, and the original artist comes back and is like, I can transform that. I can remake you. So Jesus is attempting to show a beautiful truth that broken humanity can experience a second birth instead of a second death. And so when we look at some of the, some of the just common verses that describe that type of transformation, we get things like Ephesians 2.5, instead of being spiritually dead without hope, we are made alive. That's just summing it up. Summing up Ephesians 5, 8, it's being in darkness, but then coming to light. When we look at Romans 5, 9, we see we're, we go from condemnation that we cannot bear to justification. In Romans 5, 8, we see that we go from being enemies of God to sons and daughters. Instead of perishing, 
we are able to live forever. In Christ, we are forever and irrevocably changed. We are recreated. We are defined rightly. We have a true identity. But here's the other thing. And I think this is what we miss most often when we come to John 3.16. Belief continues. We keep believing. We can sometimes, even as we continue to follow Jesus, we can kind of get into this lie that our faith is like this one-time thing rather than an ongoing relationship. So in 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I have fought the good faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There's this amazing beauty of belief that continues, a perseverance of the saints. And in wrapping up John 3.16 and and thinking through these, these amazing truths that are being said, I just want to encourage us as a church, as a body, for those of you who are here, and maybe this is your first time, first of all, like... I don't want to assume that everyone in here has a genuine belief in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you need to start believing today. Maybe you've been trying to run life on your own, by your own power, by faith in yourself, or maybe faith in someone or something else, and you're getting to that point where you're coming to the end of yourself, and that can be a scary place. It can feel like a place with no hope, and yet I hope what, 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 what we have right before us is hope itself. This is why Jesus came, to bring a message, and that message is believe in me instead of believing in all these other things. And that's where sometimes a sinner's prayer can get dogged on because if it's just a prayer in of itself, it, it doesn't turn into anything. But man, you can start that journey of belief with a prayer where you cry out to God and say, I'm putting it all on you and I am going to follow you with my life. I repent, which means to turn away from, I turn away from living life in, in my power, in my authority by trying to recreate myself. And I look to you for that recreation. I look for you to make me new. So maybe it's starting with belief today, but I also want to encourage those of you who are following Jesus, continue in that belief. Man, we get dogged down so much, and that's what I love about Sunday and and, and what gathering with you guys, even over the last couple of months, has meant for me because, man, it's easy to walk into Sunday even, even though, like, I'm getting ready to preach a sermon, and it can feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, and, like, you don't measure up, that you're not enough, and it's hard sometimes to maintain that belief, to keep believing that, that Jesus loves me. And that's what I want to encourage you, is you, maybe that's, you're struggling, and maybe it's a big struggle, something Heavy has impacted you and you don't know what to do or how to move forward. Maybe it's something small. And just even the conversations I've been having this week, just hearing the struggles people are going through, we have to start at this place. It's like, you know what? If everything else falls away in this life, if all I got is that belief on Jesus Christ, I have everything that I need. And, and I think, like that's, that's my heart in going over some of these really popular verses that that my hope for us as a church is that this 
creates revival in our heart, that this refreshes us, that maybe we've just been kind of plowing along in our relationship with God, and we need to be in that place of, of awe, of saying, God, you love me. You loved me when I was this dirty, messed up, jacked up person, and you came into this earth. You were born as a human. You lived the perfect life I couldn't live. You went to the cross and died a death that, that if I'm honest with myself, I know I deserve to be there. And you rose again so that it wasn't just something that, that, that was a, a heroic martyrdom, but it was something that would change the very fabric of our existence and of our eternity. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place where you flagged in your belief, we're going to take time here to do a couple things in response. One is we're, we're going to sing. There's something about singing that is, that is amazing because it's, it's a way for us to express our heart before the Father. And I encourage, maybe as we start into the first song, maybe just take a moment. Take a moment and we'll sit, sit with God. Maybe there's things that have been piling up that have just been... You haven't wanted the face. You haven't wanted to acknowledge. And maybe it's time now. Maybe this afternoon, it's time to face those things with the love of the Father. To face those things. To bring them out. To lay them out before God. Because he, that's the thing about belief, man, is when you come with a, with a contrite heart, with a heart that's lowly, when, you, when you've given up on yourself, man, that's, that's when we are able to meet with the Father in one of the most intimate ways. I want to encourage you, maybe during that first song, just be able to bring that in. Maybe you're in a great place with God. You are moving onwards, and it's good, and I would encourage, like, cry out to God that, that your eyes keep on him, like that you don't give up. You keep going. You keep believing today, tomorrow, and onwards. And if you're in a great place, that's oftentimes where God can use you to help others in their belief. When they're struggling. Who is that person in your life maybe that, that you need to reach out to, to encourage, to pray over, uh, to just listen sometimes, to be able to hear people pour out their heart, to direct them to Jesus? And then lastly, in keeping believing Jesus. When we get the message of Advent, God desires for us to keep bringing that message. That message that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus here in, in John 3.16, his desire as you read through the rest of Scripture is to give that message to this thing called the church. This thing called the church, this uh, group of people that love Jesus are called to bring that message. And like we prayed over there may be someone in your workplace. There may be family members. There may be all sorts of people that, that, that need this message, this, this simple but deep and rich gospel message brought to them. And so, and, and if you don't know anyone personally, just be praying over our city. Pray for people who have not been able to hear this message. We were, um, we're, we've been praying over those who are in East Asia. We've been praying over... Um, we were praying over a country in the Middle East at 3 p.m. today, and just there are people who have not heard this message. And so if, if at the very least, all you can do, pray. Pray that the message continues moving forward. So um, the last thing we're going to do in response today is, is communion. So we take communion every week, and, and we have... Um, 
broken pieces of wafer bread in the plate. We've got juice. We've got two communion um, setups up here in front. There's one in the back. And my encouragement is like, when we go to communion, we, we don't just do it out of habit. It's a way for us to commune with God, to remember that Jesus was given to us, that he was given to us so that his blood would be shed on our behalf. That's what the juice represents, that his body would be broken. That's why we have broken pieces of bread on the plate. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to remember. Remember that this is the core of who we are. To remember this is what unifies us. To remember this is what empowers us in our mission because Jesus has changed our life and our desire is to see other people transform. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you, Take some time. Bring your life before God. Repent of things that you need to repent of. Celebrate the things that God's been doing in your life. Come, take of communion, and we want to be able to worship together. And if you're in a place where man, you just know, like, man, I just need someone to pray over me because I just don't have any answers. I, I don't even know how I'm going to just move through the day tomorrow. Um, I'll be up front here, but I encourage you, there, there are so many believers in this room right now who would love to pray over you as well. So let's, um, let's start this off by, by praying, and uh, then we'll move into a time of singing and communion. Father in heaven, God, I just pray that John 16, much, much like I pray just for the rest of Scripture for our hearts, wouldn't become stale. I pray that you'd refresh us in your word this afternoon, Jesus, where we have flagged, where we have forgotten, where we've been misdirected. God, restore us, revive us. And I pray for for those who haven't put faith in you, Jesus, who haven't believed on you, who haven't relied on you for life. I pray that this would be the day, that this afternoon would be the time for that for that decision of moving on with you, with responding to the call of your spirit, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that this message will become uh, continually precious to us. Help us to see the people we need to bring this message to. Help us to know those who we're supposed to pray with, how we can support one another as brothers and sisters in moving this message out, God. I just pray even this week, would John 3.16 resonate in our hearts and our minds and our very being and our souls, God. We pray this in your name.